Like I can tell you everything about you if you show me your calendar, where, where your minutes are, your balance sheet, where your assets are, and your bank account, credit card statement, where your spending is. Those numbers tell the story. And most people don't want to look at those because they don't want to look at the truth. And that's what, that's what reinventing is all about and taking control of your life. It's about honoring the truth. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an extraordinary guest for today's episode. Damien Lupo is a best-selling author in personal finance and money thinking, host of the Transformation Nation podcast, owner of 30-plus companies, and founder of his own martial art, Yokido. Damien outrightly rejects regret and speaks to it as the ultimate life failure. He has a unique approach to living a fulfilled life by breaking rules and making more mistakes faster than the competition, his key to success. Playing by a different set of rules, he even bought his first rental house with a visa, a move that snowballed into owning 150 rental houses in seven states in less than five years. In 2008, he lost his entire $20 million net worth, but recreated his wealth and reinvented his life over four transformational years. Today, he leads three global companies with one unified mission, to free people from money bondage. Damien, welcome to the show. Dr. Richard, so good to be here. Thank you for having me. I I am so excited for this interview. It's been on my radar for a while, and I think there's so many different things we could talk about. One of the things that struck me is, in addition to your podcast, and we'll definitely talk about that, that you've done a lot of really interesting things and you've, you've overcome a lot of adversity. So talk to us a little bit about your journey and what really started you on the path that you're on today, and we'll move from there. I, the path sort of got tripped up when I was 11 because I, I had a problem and, and I wanted to play Nintendo games. And my parents told me we, we were broke and I couldn't, like, we couldn't afford them. So I said, I'm going to solve that problem. And I went into business. And I should have probably paid attention. It's one of those should moments. And then I ended up shooting all over myself because I wasn't listening to the universe. <laughs> I, I, di- I didn't really pay attention to the entrepreneur inside me that was trying to break loose. And so I went off to college and started doing the normal, you know, what society says is cool. And then you get trapped by it. And I, I got kicked out of college a couple of times because I kept setting up businesses. And one of them actually put the bookstore on campus out of, out of business. And they invited me to leave that week. So as soon as I finished up my, biz- my uh, bookstore business, paid for college in, in that week, I left. And it was sort of just the epiphany that, hey, I'm really not supposed to be on this path. And I went off and started doing some other things with some real estate, some insurance, and ultimately the Real estate was the one where I just went kind of going gangbusters and tried a lot more things than most people will ever hear of in their lifetime. Failed at many, many of those things on my way to creating a $20 million fortune in my 20s. And then I lost it all in 2008 and had to start over. And that was kind of the, the big surge of the big uh, you know, initial 
phase of, of entrepreneurial explosions and, and blowups. It's interesting, Damien, and you're not alone in stories like that. Well, maybe not putting the bookstore out of business. That's kind of unique. But in terms of building up in a very short amount of time, this phenomenal amount of money and then losing it. Uh, in fact, I recall Dave Asprey talking about that a number of times that he, he made by the age of 26. He had so many millions of dollars, then he lost it all within a short amount of time. And that happened to you. So was this due to you know the economic downturn in the housing market? Is that what happened there for you? That'd be a good way for me to, to be a victim and blame. Um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, truly, and it's and most people would buy into it, but I, I have an extreme self-responsibility, extreme ownership position and philosophy. So to me, it was my ego that that drove that thing off a cliff. There were plenty of people that made money and actually kept it in 2008. I wasn't one of them because my ego was driving the ship and it wasn't values or a mission that were actually driving it. So I would say I was responsible for that. And even though the, the market didn't help me, I think it accelerated who I was at the moment. And that's what really created that expedited freefall into a place where I had to go, huh, I guess I've got a problem. And it's probably not just the economy. There's something deeper. And that, that took two years to figure out and then rewire. So let's talk about those two years, because I think those, you know, it, it's easy to be on top. And when things are going great, we're riding high and feeling good about ourselves. Talk to us about that two-year period in your life, the rewiring as you were, what, what that process of self-discovery was like for you and what you learned. Well, the, the funny part is that the, the first two years after 2008 was not the two years I'm talking about. The, the first two years was where I was in a space of really ignoring the reality of what was true. And, and I was just kind of pretending it didn't happen and all was good. And then something tripped me up and I thought, wait a second, I'm not really getting anywhere. And then that's when I went and, and got help uh, with uh, one of your colleagues, uh, a, a psychologist in Austin. And we sat down for two years and asked one question. We asked the question, what is true? And I kept going deeper and deeper into my truth. And what was true was that I didn't know who the heck I was because for 10 years, my self-worth and net worth were the same thing. So when my net worth became negative 5 million, I, all of a sudden I had no, I had no self-worth. And that really became a problem because without the, with me thinking I had a negative value on the planet, it really sort of, it, it kind of triggered some pretty dark thoughts because I didn't really have anything else that I, I thought I was valuable for. And, and when we got down to it, I realized there was something deeply uh, buried and hidden. It was something that was driving me to teach and it was driving me to step up and do something that was more important than just consuming. You know, and unfortunately, in, the, in America, we're called the American consumer and we get really good at it. And I was really good at it, but that's not why we're here. We're not here just to consume and make some big companies a lot of money because we're really excellent at taking on debt to buy their, their products. I, I started to realize there was something more. And the two years was really just going into the truth and taking responsibility. That's the first thing. If you want to reinvent, you want to change your life, you have to be willing to take ownership and responsibility for 100% of everything. Otherwise, you're never going to get traction. I love that. And you know, one, of the, one of the phrases that you threw out there, Damien, that was so striking to me, and I think this is so true for a lot of people, your net worth was your self-worth. And it is true that in Western society, we tend to focus on you know, the cars that we drive and the things that we have more so than the, the positive things that we're doing in the world. So kudos to you for, for coming to that realization. So then as you're going through your, your journey and something you had mentioned earlier, you said that you were basically building your, your wealth without values 
or a mission. So during that two-year period, did you discover what your mission was? I actually had that come up um, where I consciously went into a business a number of years ago, a few years ago, and and asked the question. And I, I had an idea about seven years ago, I did some work in a program called Lifebook, where I was really diving into what was the driver for my health, what was the driver for my my financial life, all these different pieces of my life. And the driver was basically the values that drove each of those things. And then a few years ago, I thought, okay, I'm going to get really, really present and conscious around these values. What are those those handful of values that are going to be the, the guides for everything I do, every choice I make, every person I get involved with, every business uh, decision? And and so it it took a day moving myself across the country, sitting in a hotel lobby in, in Atlanta, asking the question, what matters to me more than anything else? And it came down to these six, these six key values that became the the pillars of the business and the pillars of my life because it was so true that those represented me. And and then the the mission sort of popped up. And it was sort of it was a weird thing because before before my dad passed away in 2014, I was good at making money. I was good at doing stuff. And and what I realized in the last conversation I had with him was that you get to the end of your life and you you either look at it and go, wow, that was amazing. Or you look at it and you did what he did. You look at it and you say, damn, there were a lot of things I didn't get to do. And to me, that experience of hearing him say that was regret. And it was that he didn't have a big mission that was pulling him that he was giving everything to. And and that's what really pushed me into the place of having a mission. Because it's not about consuming. It was about contributing. And it needed to be something that was bigger than me. That's what pushed me into a place where I had to have a mission. It wasn't optional anymore. So let's talk about how then you took your mission and started applying that into your life and, and into the world. Well, the, the first thing that I realized when, when this became obvious I had to do it was that I was playing small. And I think we can do a lot of things and, and they may even be fun. You and I were talking about this before we started recording that you know, there's a lot of things that we do if we start to act on purpose. They're fun. The question is, are we really living up to our potential? And, and so I said, okay, I can help a person here or there get clear on their money. I can help, I can ask questions. But if I do that one at a time, I am not going to wake up at the end of my life saying that was amazing and I gave it all. So I said, okay, what's the mission? The mission is to free a million people from financial bondage. That million people will do, will create a ripple effect and it'll do what, what has transformed my life. It, it kind of shifted my, my thinking around being a billionaire. It used to be a billion dollars in the bank. Today, the way that I look at being a billionaire is a billion people impacted. So if I have a million people that I have, I have helped to free them from financial bondage, those million people will impact a thousand people apiece over their lifetimes. I have now created a billion person impact and now I'm a billionaire. That's how I look at it. It's completely different from being a consumer where I just have a bunch of cash in the bank. I love that. That is so powerful. And simply just by shifting the way you viewed wealth you're able to help so many more people. And Damien, you've been able to help people in a number of ways. I know that you have your three global companies, which are focused on that very thing to to help people become financially free. So talk to us about what the companies are specifically. And then I want to get into your book a little bit. The, The companies all have the same premise, and that is really empowering people with confidence to do something. And so it's now, a lot of times we we're looking for a tool. We're we're looking for the Tim Ferriss hack. And as much as I love Tim Ferriss's books, I think I've read most of them. The the truth is you can't build muscle with a hack. Like you've actually got to do the work. 
people will oftentimes come to me and they're 50, 55 years old and they'll say, we want help. And I'll say, with what? And they'll say, well, we need to figure out how to make money. And I'll look at their balance sheet and they'll have two or three million bucks. One case, a guy came to me a few months ago, had $5 million and he said, I'm, I'm stuck. And I said, well, how are you stuck? He said, well, I, I got to keep working. And I said, you've got $5 million. You're 42 years old. What are you stuck with? And he said, well, I just don't know how to... like, How do I get out of my job? And it was because he didn't have the confidence. He had the cash. He actually has cash flow from stuff, but he doesn't have the confidence that he can actually do it. And that's where the freedom lies. So all these, these companies that and the teaching and, and, the, and the products that we have all have to do with confidence. I don't have something where you can buy a turnkey thing that will take care of your life. But that, to me, that's abdicating responsibility. I have ways for you to build muscle. So it's kind of like being, being a personal trainer in finance. I'm actually going to help you understand how to do the, the training so that you can actually have the muscle. So no matter what happens with the economy or, or mistakes that you make, you can go into the, tomorrow knowing you can create it again. That's the shift. That's what we do best. So I want you to talk about the book that you wrote during this struggle when you reinvented yourself, when you really found your mission. The one that was the most intense personal, the one that, can, that has the biggest questions is Reinvented Life. And that was the one that, that was written during this process of going, okay, what is it? Who am I? What's going on? And then how do I share these questions that I'm, I'm using to get to the truth with the world? And that's, that's, that's the whole point of the book. It's to share the stories of transformation and give you a, a roadmap on the questions. And it's not really just woo. I think there's a lot of woo out there that is interesting, but this one is giving you a lot of numbers. It's, it, I, I'm a numbers geek. And, and if you can get to the numbers, if you can figure out the question around the numbers, you find the truth because numbers don't lie. And that's, that really changes things when you're honest about what your, what your habits are. Like I can tell you everything about you if you show me your calendar, where, where your minutes are, your balance sheet, where your assets are, and your bank account, credit card statement, where your spending is. Those numbers tell the story. And most people don't want to look at those because they don't want to look at the truth. And that's what, that's what reinventing is all about and taking control of your life. It's about honoring the truth. And that's awesome. And we're going to have a link to your, your book, certainly in our show notes and in the app. But you, know, you mentioned that you can look at somebody's bank statements, their credit card statements, and really find out who they are, where they're spending their money. And I know that you have some great concepts that we can talk about. it, And those include green and red arrows of wealth. Could you walk us through what those are, Damien? Well, yeah, the, the, it, this actually came up because I was working with some folks, mentoring them a few years ago. And, and these, these clients came in and they said, hey, we're really concerned about the, these arrows. And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And they said, the green, the green and red arrows. They said, when we watch the markets every day, we, we watch bobblehead or bubblehead or whatever it is, CNBC, and we see the markets going up, that's green arrow. We see the markets going down, that's a red arrow. So each day, we're either feeling richer or feeling poorer. We're feeling optimistic or we're scared to death. And I said, so what do you want to do? And they said, we, we hate this. We want to get off this roller coaster. And I said, great. So what does that mean? They said, well, I don't know. And the reality was they, were, they had given up their control. And that's why these, these arrows were taking them for a ride. That's where most people's money sits. It's on this roller coaster. And so these arrows drive their emotional state and keeps them in a place of total confusion and, and fear. So it was once we, we shifted their, their money into a place where they controlled it, all of a sudden, I remember talking with them. We were traveling and I said, so how did you guys have... A, did you see the markets? They said, no. I said, you didn't see the markets dropped 500 points yesterday. And they said, oh no, we're, we're out of it. We don't care. 
And I thought, that is amazing. You literally don't have any reaction to what's going on. Most people are cringing right now, but you guys don't care. It's interesting. One of the the concepts you, you can liken that to is if you set a goal of, say, losing 20 pounds and you know, getting on the scale every five minutes isn't really going to help you get that information. But taking a step back and you know, just letting that be and then checking it less frequently is kind of indicative of how this could come together as well. So, you know, green, red arrows of wealth, we're not, we're not stressing the day-to-day, but rather focused on the long-term goal, I think is, is the point, right? Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's another piece too there, and it has to do with the drivers versus the outcomes. And the outcomes we talk about are, are the KPIs, the key performance indicators for business. This is really just the, the end result. What we're trying to do with our money is have an end result. And so if, the problem is if we don't control the drivers and all we have is the output, so we're, we've got this money that's sitting in somebody's hands and they're managing it for us, we just hope. So basically, our, our entire strategy is to smoke a bunch of hopium and that's how we're going to get rich. The problem is we're going to get old and we're going to be a little bit dazed and confused. So the, the alternative is to, to focus on the drivers, the things that you can control, the things, the inputs. And, and that's like going to the gym. And actually, you can control that. You can't control what your muscle is necessarily going to look like, but you can control how often you go there and how many reps you do. So if you control and fall in love with the inputs, the outputs tend to take care of themselves. If you don't have the inputs under control or you don't have any control, you're literally at the will and the whim of, of other influences and, and you're never going to really feel free. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. One of the concepts I know that is also important to you or that you feel very strongly about is you despise the word retirement. Talk to us about that. Dr. Richard, this is a death sentence. It's, it's literally a, a thing that we thought up or we started using 100 years ago where people, it was, used, it was basically taking agriculture and industrial age ideas around animals and, and, and equipment that had worn out. And so you take the equipment, you replace it, you throw it away. You take an animal that's too old, you go out in the back and you shoot the thing. That is how we're treating people. We're saying you get to 55, 60 years old, you're basically worn out, useless, let's get rid of you. And, and we pretend it's okay, we're going give, to you know, give people a gold watch and then all is good. The problem is three years after the average male retires in the United States, they're dead. It's because they're not engaging in anything. And in, in playing golf and sitting on a beach and joining a book club is not engaging. That's, I, I really, I hate this idea. And I, I watched my dad when I was about eight years old tell me, hey, I've only got 12 years left. 12 years left and then I'm free. And that was how long he was going to, that's how long he had until he was going to retire. So he gave up 12 years hating his life so that he could get the gold watch. And I just remember shaking my head going, this makes no sense. You hate, you hate everything about what you're doing. 
So I just think that the idea of waiting to live down the road and then that moment where you go, I'm done, and then you have three years left is a really, really stupid plan. And most people are unconscious because they've been brainwashed into thinking that that's what you're supposed to do. It's really interesting, Damien, that your position is supported by neuroscience as well, and that the research suggests that your risk for dementia increases dramatically if you are, as you said, retired and sitting on a beach rather than engaging your mind in stimulating tasks. Interesting. It, 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 makes, it makes perfect sense. It's also really crazy if you think about the, the idea of, of spending decades out engaging and learning and growing, and, and then you get to a point where you have all this wisdom, because any, any monkey can regurgitate information, but you spend 30, 40 years creating the actual wisdom, and then that's when you're going to quit. I mean, that's the moment where you've got all this stuff where you can really contribute at a deep level, where you almost have an x-ray vision where you can, you can understand things at a cellular level that most people can't, and, and then you're going to quit? Like that, I don't even get why that would make any sense to anyone. I, I hear you. No, it strongly resonates with me, and I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this. One of the other topics I want to circle back to is you had a really great reframe going from wanting to be a billionaire, a billionaire in terms of a billion dollars in the bank. For you, it's you know having that, billion-dollar influence helping people help others financially. But in terms of the concept of wealth, generally speaking, how do you define that for the general public? I would say wealth is choice. I mean, wealth truly is being able to say, I'm going to do what I want to do. When, when somebody says, I can't, they, whatever it is they want to do, they get invited to do something, they have a certain vision, a certain experience they want, and they say, I can't, I, that just makes me cringe because that tells me that they don't have choice. It tells me they're not free. It, it tells me that there are shackles that they're, they've probably put on themselves. It's, it, this especially comes up when people are talking about traveling. What I find is that people make choices to keep up with images because they're afraid of judgment. And those choices where they spend money and then they have to make more money to spend more money on these things to prove something around their, their significance and, their, and creating security is really destroying all of the experiences and the environments and the relationships that are really going to lead them to fulfillment. And, and we're, we're basically putting ourselves in a cage. And that's, I, I see that with people. And it makes me a little nuts to, to watch that process. I, it's, once, once you start owning everything about your life and you realize that what you think about yourself is more important than what anybody else thinks, you start asking different questions like, do I really, really want the Ferrari? And I say this because I bought a Ferrari in my 20s and I thought I wanted it, but I wanted to be Will Smith because Will Smith was really, really cool and bad boys too. I didn't really want the Ferrari that bad. I just wanted to play in a really hot car. And then when I had the experience, I said, okay, I really don't want that. But in my mind, it made perfect sense because of the imagery that I was trying to model. So I think it ultimately comes down to having choice and that that is, that is wealth. So... Choice is wealth. So I want to kind of dovetail into a very similar line of thinking, a similar question. You know, Robert Kiyosaki defines financial freedom as when your cash flow exceeds your expenses, and then then you've met it. But I know that you have kind of a different take on what is the traditional definition of financial freedom. I, I love Robert. I was actually on a boat with him not too long ago, a few weeks ago in the Caribbean, and we were teaching together, and. I, I love the idea, except I had that and it went away. And I see people that have it. Like if I was to give most people, hand them an apartment building and it had 
it was kicking off $10,000 a month. For most people, based on that definition, they would be free. The problem is they didn't have any muscle. They hadn't built up the confidence. So they would most likely repel it or lose it. There's, there's a piece in, um, I've been reading a book and it's, it's based on Proverbs. And it's, it's fascinating because if you get something without really doing any work around it, you haven't built a muscle and you're going to lose it just as fast. And I, I watched myself do that in a lot of ways. And I watched most investors do that. So there's, there's a truth in what Robert Kiyosaki is saying. And you have to make sure you have the muscle built up around it or you will absolutely lose it as fast as you got it. Makes sense. And so you have some ideas regarding wealth, regarding finances that intuitively make a lot of sense, but that are unconventional in some ways. And one of the things that most people hear is you, know, you get a job and then you go get yourself a financial advisor to start investing money on your behalf. But that's also another thing that you're not crazy about. Talk to us about why. Because it's totally, totally abdicating responsibility and handing, handing money over. It's, there, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have money with people that are, that are pros in, in unique areas of expertise. I think that can be a very powerful thing to do if you understand why you're doing it. Unfortunately, what most people do is they say, well, I'm too stupid because the Wall Street system has convinced us that we're too stupid and it's too complex and it's better for us to, to turn our money over. And we've heard Warren Buffett or these different people say, compounding interest is, is the best thing. And if you just leave your money sitting, it's for the long term. You know what? The, the Wall Street system is trading and doing things in seconds and milliseconds. That's how, that's how long-term they're thinking. And, and so I, just, I, I think it's, it's irresponsible and a little bit psychotic to hand money over and think that you're going to do well. You're not going to get rich. You're going to get old and you're going to be scared. And that's, that's going to be the, the for sure reality. And, and it, there's a different approach. And it's called taking responsibility and not handing over your wealth to somebody and just hoping it all works out. So I get that, but there's a bit of a, a dichotomous position here in that we, you're saying that don't put your money in the hands of an investor who you know is, is basically taking all that power away from you. And yet your position is that entrepreneurs who generally try and do everything themselves are not great investors. So first, let's talk about why entrepreneurs are not great investors. And then the next question would be, how does an entrepreneur who's generally in the process of doing everything for themselves, how do they become good investors? How do they get those skill sets to do it? Well, a lot, a lot of investing has to do with numbers. And, and unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs are focused on selling things and, and doing something that's interesting or stimulating. A lot of investing should not be stimulating. It should not be interesting. It should be, there should be a risk, um, a, a risk profile for what you're doing. There should be position sizing. These are terms based on how much you can afford to invest and how much you can afford to lose. Those are not things that entrepreneurs think about too much. They're just they're trying to figure out how to keep their baby alive and, and going. They're tending to think like a hunter versus a farmer. Inve as an investor, you really have to be thinking more long-term and, and be planting seeds. It's, it, it's a different philosophy. I think most of the entrepreneurs, business owners I know, especially early on, are, they're not really numbers-driven. They, they are trying to figure out how to solve a problem and it tends to be shorter-sighted. I, I find that people that are really successful investors are, are not that... They're, they're not that exciting. They've, they've got their emotions under control and they're, they're pretty boring and they're consistent. It's a very different thing. Most entrepreneurs can't raise money if they're boring and consistent because nobody pays attention to them. 
Makes perfect sense to me. Makes perfect sense. And I, I wanted to ask another question, and, and it's an important one, I think, given your experiences, because you have started over 30 businesses. And a lot of people who are listening to this, either they're growing their first business or they're thinking about starting a business. So what would be kind of your biggest pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about starting a business or who has just started one themselves? Stop thinking about it and start it and then fail as fast as possible. It's, it, the, I see people sitting in their brains thinking about this stuff and, and there's a concern and it's a primal concern. We've got our mind thinking that something in the, in the woods, which is the real world, is going to jump out and eat us. We think, I mean, I, I was in Africa recently and, and you literally could be eaten by something. In fact, the people about a week before us decided to go out and, and organize some tiger cubs or some lion cubs. And uh, mama came over and ended up eating the one lady because you know that's, that was what they do. So you can actually be eaten if you're in Africa or where I grew up in Alaska. But other than that, you're not going to be eaten. But people think they're going to be eaten, so they stay in their head. And my, my thinking is, if you're going to go out there and be in the real world and you're going to have a fulfilled life, you've got to be willing to go out there and, and, learn, and grow because of the mistakes. So the advice to myself at you know, 20 years ago or anybody that's starting out is to fail fast and realize that's where you're going to get the juice for the next thing. And the next thing is by failing faster, not by staying safe in your head. I love it. Fantastic. And we're, we're close on time, but there's a couple of things that I absolutely wanted to ask you. The first of which is talk to us about Yokido. I know that you founded your own form of martial arts, which is wild. Talk to us about how that happened and, and how Yokido is different than other kinds of martial arts that are out there. The premise of Yokido is lethal kindness. And if you think about martial arts for a second, most of, in your brain, your vision of a martial arts, you're not thinking about kindness. You're thinking about somebody punching someone in the head or, or snap kicking them or something. And, and Yokito was, was me after 10,000 plus hours going deep into something. And it's, it's what came out of me. I mean, it, like it gestated until it popped. And when it popped, there was this blend of yoga and Aikido and Reiki. These things all came together. And, and they were based on the premise of presence, which is really about being here in, in the moment and not being tense and, and then releasing the tension so that you can actually have a relationship with other people and you're not trying to just force things. And ultimately, because of those two things, you start to evolve into a space of lethal kindness where nothing can touch you. You go invisible because of that lethality in the kindness that you've gone so far into. Unfortunately, we're typically not very kind because there's so much tension. We tend to be using a lot of force instead of having the power, which if you think about it, there's ultimate power in ultimate kindness. It's, it, just think about that for a second and it, it might change how you approach the next person or the next business or the next thing in your life. No, I, I love that. I mean, you're definitely singing my song. One of, one of the focuses on this show is to get people to commit random acts of kindness. So I love that that's a focus of Yokido and, and central to what you're doing. And then I definitely wanted to have you talk a little bit about your, your podcast. So sh share us all the good information about that project you've got. So the Transformation Nation is, is the show and it's, it's a narrow focus on the transformers in the world that are doing things and they're triggering people to be free financially. Unfortunately, financials and the financial world, the part of our lives, keeps most of us trapped. And it's very simply a shift into thinking and being different and doing things differently. So there's an alignment between our being and our doing that results in the having. And 
I, I'm, I'm bringing the, the best in the world together to, to share their ideas and jostle people loose from what they've been doing and the lives they've, they've been living so that they can actually have a life by design and not by default. So that's, that's the premise of, the, of the, the show. It's very narrowly focused on transforming our financial lives so we're empowered and we're not trapped by them. Absolutely love it. Damien, we could, as you mentioned before we started, 